As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine, and I'm delighted to be joined by Seb Halford's floor. Hi, Seb. Hi there, Joe Devine. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah, also... Uh, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm deflated, actually. <laughs> yeah. Also here is John McKenzie. Hello. How are you? I am flated. You are flated. Yeah, I'm a little flated. I had a baked potato earlier. But also here, much better than a baked potato, is Kiva O'Neill. Hi, Kiva. <laughs> Thanks. How are you? I'm much better than a baked potato. Are you happy about that? Yeah, quite. I mean, new Twitter bio feels. Baked potatoes are very good. Three of us had baked potatoes for dinner, so we all like baked potatoes. (laughs) We're all going to want to leave this room (laughs) desperately. I'm holding on. The podcast. Anyway, fine. Well, listen, uh, lots on the docket to discuss today. England are out. France go through. Uh, Portugal, Morocco, Morocco. Story of the day. That's the one. That's the story. We should start with that. No, we'll start with England and we'll come back to uh, so Portugal, Morocco. But that's very, very, very exciting. And also, we've got uh, Points of Bad a little bit later too. Uh, but uh, have you had a fun day generally there, Kiva? Yeah, I think the Morocco game was probably now the highlight. I went out into Trafalgar Square as well and met a few of their fans and they were just absolutely overjoyed. So that was nice. Did you see Seb there? I think I, just I might have gone you, about 45 I? minutes too early. Oh. I got there and it was a kind of mix of tourists, Was you Christmas with the pyro? No, no, I was kind of, I got, in, I got in sort of the Charing Cross side and it was just, it was, there was no theme to it. I, I was kind of imagining wild street parties with the Moroccan flags and I just turned around and walked back to the office. Yeah. I should have stayed. Were there lots of people there when you yeah. got there? Were there? See my Twitter, loads of, loads of videos and mm. it was good fun, very, yeah. Uh, very nice mood. Well, if you like good fun and a very nice mood, then you should visit The Athletic. Theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. Theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. Do you know, I never open the app and don't have a very nice mood, huh? Mm. Huh? Yeah? What, what, what have you read recently, Seb? Uh, well, the best thing I think I've read is, is um, Alex Abnos and Jay Harris wrote a piece about all the Moroccan fans who were celebrating around the world ah. after the quarterfinal. Right. So what I did is I kind of read it again and multiplied everything by about four mm-hmm. to imagine what's now happening. Yeah. Because Moroccan fans are everywhere. They're kind of um, they're celebrating all over the world. It's fantastic. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they, the guys do a great job of, of describing those scenes. So I have some half have Moroccan, half French family. Quite, they... ex- quite excited for them to be conflicted. Okay. Yeah. And, okay. That is quite conflicting. Yeah. Yeah. But it's kind of a win-win. Yeah, I suppose, in a way. Do you speak to those members of your family? 
Not really, no. So it's kind of a neutral situation. It's kind isn't of it? neutral yeah. for me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not because I don't like no, them. No, no, sure. They just I live just, in a different country. We just and, don't you know, care about them. Going down a wormhole now, yeah. aren't we? Anyway, yeah. listen, I will leave you in the warm hands and the cool embrace of distant family members. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, England won to France. Oh, there we go. It's all over, John. Uh, not for you, of course, because you're a neutral, um, which I feel like is worth saying uh, before you start to analyse the game. Uh, though you sound like you would support England, you actually support Scotland, um, and therefore you are very biased against England. No, I'm just joking. You're a neutral in terms of this game. Um Tell us what happened and tell us why you kept shouting game state the whole way through the match. <laughs> well, in terms of the overall tactical battle between these teams, obviously the anti-Mbappe plan that was being banded around in the media was, um, was, was Gareth Southgate's plan to deal with Kylian Mbappe. Uh, and I think it was very interesting to sort of work out how that actually broke down in, in the game. So on the board in front of me, we've got, we've got France. France playing a 4-2-3-1 here. And Mbappe plays on the left-hand side of that, right? And Mbappe is very uh, lackadaisical, let's say, in terms of dropping back into into defensive situations. It's right? not really required of him, is it? Well, that's the interesting thing, because you would think that in a defensive situation, what would happen if you were going to play like a 4-4-2 block, which a lot of teams do, you, you'll have your wingers dropping in, and then your number 10 will push up here alongside, and then you've got your two forward pressing players here and then you've got two banks of four behind so you've got them. a sort of four four two yeah and so the idea then is that if if mbappe is pushing up in these situations um right up on the, the left hand side and he's not dropping in alongside his teammates then you end up with this situation where on the left hand side you've got a huge amount of space mm. uh in this in this area on the left wing or Teo Hernandez has a lot of space to cover yeah, from exactly. left. He had a tough game as well, didn't he? Is that partly because of the exposure? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll go on to talk about him. But actually what happens in these situations is rather than Mbappe being expected to drop in and, and help out in those in those areas, what, what happens is that Mbappe pushes across and Giroud pushes across and actually Griezmann... I pronounced his name in a very weird way again. Griezmann. Griezmann. Yeah. Do you remember when he growled last time through it? Yeah. He really went you know, pretty guttural. Yeah. yeah. Griezmann drops in alongside Chouameni and Rabiot pushes into this side a little bit. Mm. So Mbappe not helping out defensively is not as dangerous as, as you might think. Yeah. Now, obviously, there's still weaknesses on this side because Rabiot is, is technically playing in a, in a double pivot alongside Chouameni. But what was happening is that England were trying to make the most of this by pushing Saka forward. They're keeping Walker deeper. They didn't want to push him up. They're happy for, for Shaw and Foden to push up. Um, but they were dropping Henderson out onto the onto the wide right area here. Mm -hmm. The idea being that that they were going to try and get these overloads and build up in the wide area here. But Rabiot drops across. Uh, we've got Kane up here, and the, the problem then is is that you have the situation where you've got you're ma basically matching your midfield here in Giroud or Mbappe dropping to help with the pivot in England's build up too. Yeah. So actually, what you're what you're doing in this situation, the idea is to make the most of the fact that Mbappe isn't. Um, dropping in to help out defend but actually France have a really nice system then for making sure that that area is covered and they end and up sort of overloading a bit in the middle yeah exactly so you don't you end you end up then losing some of these battles I think because because mm. Rabiot does stay a little bit more narrow here and you end up mm. um, with with a 2v3 in this sort of area and England obviously want to build up on their left-hand side through Shaw and Foden because they don't want Walker to get forward too much so it felt to me very much like in this game the advantage you th might think that you might get from Mbappe playing on the left-hand side was was neutralised to a certain extent. Although, mm. interestingly, as you said, the most 
the most dangerous dynamic, I think, for England was Saka on Hernandez. And, yeah. and England were constantly finding Saka uh, and he was just holding Hernandez off uh, and then rolling. And they, they, a few chances were generated um, in, in this sort of area. Saka obviously wins the penalty as well. And then Harry Kane as well, I think, rolls up a Meccano in this kind of area as well. So they did get some upside from from these these kind of areas in the first half in particular. Yeah. Uh, but I think overall, the the way that France played actually balanced quite nicely off the way that England would want to play as well. Yeah, I mean, Kiva, France's first goal kind kind of maybe it's a bit unfair to say it came out of nowhere, but it, but it, it didn't feel uh, expected at that moment, and then it just completely changed the game, didn't it? Yeah, I think it did come out of nowhere. It just sort of. Sure. Chiumani just popped up and, and scored and it felt like France have the capability to do that and you felt like they might do that. They obviously did. Um, England looked pretty in control and pretty confident. Probably England's best performance in a tournament, could you say? They were they played really well against so. tough opposition. Um, but that goal sort of comes out of nowhere. I don't think it really matters or changes the game in any kind of way. England obviously then to get the penalty thought Saka was absolutely brilliant but it's interesting that I think Kyle Walker goes forward just before they get the goal and then doesn't really go forward again in the first half he just kind of stays back then because obviously you've got Mbappe to mark and Mbappe actually is involved although you know Griezmann will get the the plaudits for obviously assisting both goals and Pape. He's like a spark as soon as he gets the ball. It's like the electricity just starts running through the French team and that's what seemed to happen. Um, but I thought Jordan Henderson and Bakayo Saka were two of England's best players tonight and they linked up really well. And then they just disappeared after obviously France got the second goal, which was a bit yeah. disappointing. They also, but I mean, what did you make of Saka being subbed off? So he replaced by that, Henderson was like when he was sprinting 100 meters in the yeah. first minute. I was like, "You got 70 minutes in the tank here with yeah. him." But Saka was quite surprising. I know Mount comes on and then obviously wins the penalty, but Saka was building up to this moment. It felt like this moment mm. was coming and going to happen for him. And then obviously Southgate takes him off, and it just felt a bit like that was a deflating moment for everyone because we were all yeah. building up to this. Bakayo Sacco moment and then we didn't get it which was yeah. a bit sad uh, a player that we did get lots of moments from um, was Hugo Lloris Seb yeah. who, who had quite a good game <laughs> yeah. um, not to suggest at all that uh, either the, the outcome would have been different if he had a worse game I don't, I don't think England had that that many clear cut opportunities but Lloris certainly was an important player for, for France yeah it was a kind of it was a Spurs performance from him in the sense that like he made his really good saves he had a few iffy moments from crosses when we dropped a couple and um, he was, he's someone you always think you're going to get an opportunity out of, but ultimately in a game of those kind of thin margins, like the save he made, um, the save he made in the second half, the one he tipped just over the crossbar, uh, is one of the best saves I've, I've, I've seen him make. Kiva made a really good point during the game. He has this really unusual technique where you see him dive almost with his body before he puts out his hands. Mm. And so it always feels like any shot that's going towards goal is going to go in. And then at the last minute, he kind of puts out a hand to deflect yeah. it. He had a really good game. Uh, he's a big reason why France were in the semifinals. Um, it's kind of measurable. So I, I know the mood is, is kind of down, but I, I was really happy with the way England played. I was really encouraged by yeah. kind of some of the personality and the performances. And Well, it's worth saying it's, it was yeah. an interesting opportunity to see England at a major tournament yeah. against a big team like France. Like there've been, There's been lots of people uh, talk, talk before about the idea that England's progression through tournaments over the last uh, couple, of, couple of tournaments has been past teams that are under the elite level. 
Um, and certainly France is the biggest opposition, I think, that England have faced at a major tournament for a lo- long time. So it's quite exciting to see them. It was a very different game. Yeah, I mean, it's bittersweet because I, I think the trend in these kind of games has been that England underperform. They are inhibited. They play like they did, for instance, against Italy in Euro 2012, where they, they kind of, they're so aware of their inferiority, like from a kind of technical perspective, that that instructs their performance. Um, whereas tonight, I thought they were aggressive for you know, decent periods of the game. I thought like Bakai Saka was excellent. I thought Jude Bellingham was very good. I enjoyed Phil Foden in moments. Like these, like these are things you don't often say at the end of an England elimination. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, like I, I just think it's one of those things where like, I, f- I think France are just a better side. I think England probably played a little bit better tonight, but the lesson is like, you take your chances. That's a really trite observation. I, I understand, but it's the truth. And it, it comes up in World Cups again and again and again. Well, they again. also, I mean, they, they, John, they, they didn't create enough chances. Like if you take the penalties away, which obviously you can't, right? But presumably the non-penalty XG would show that I don't think there were really that many clear-cut chances in open play for England. Mm. I agree that they were the better team, but less about taking chances and I think more about creating them, isn't it? Yeah, so I've just looked at Opto's um, XG plot and they have England at 2.4 expected goals. Now, 1.6 of that came from penalties. Now, right. Obviously, as you say, a penalty is a legitimate way of scoring and it's a good way sure. of, of getting chances. But if you take that away, I think it leaves, what is it, 0.8 expected yeah. goals from open play. Well, that's not even from open play because obviously chances came from from corners and, and, and set, set pieces as well. Um, so, yeah, the, but this is the way that England have played, right? This is the way that you can you can game the system in the on the international stage right if you if you work hard on your set pieces uh, and if you have players who are going to win i mean england won those two penalties and uh, and uh, will have to consider themselves unlucky to not still be playing right now as we record yeah um but i would say like to go back you asked me right at the beginning about game state and i didn't really talk about yeah what is what is what is game state what do you mean by that yeah so game state just simply refers to the situation that a team are in at any one point in a game and 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 the the various um uh exigencies that might affect the way that they're playing so um obviously england were one nil down fairly early on and that changes the way that England are going to play and that changes the way that france are going to play because i think france came into this game expecting to try and get the first goal and then sit back and rely on the fact that they've got Mbappe, who's one of the best transitional players in the world. And, and they know then they can, you can worry about England's attacking play and then just sort of vibe out in, in, in the wide left areas through Mbappe and, and hope that you pick up a second goal to go ahead. And then you, then you can be a little bit, bit freer. Um, and I think that impacted the way that France played in, in the first half in particular. I think they're quite happy allowing England to have the ball. Um, England were trying to build up in, in wide areas. They weren't generating a huge amount through the middle. There was obviously some dangerous moments. We've talked about the Kane, uh, the Kane role of Upper Meccano, uh, and then th- there was the penalty situations as well. But I think France will look back on this and say, okay, a couple of silly head losses. So Chiuamini mm. jumps in a little bit on mm. Saka, and then Teo Hernandez just barges through Mason Mount in a situation that yeah. actually I don't think was very dangerous. That's, that's definitely um, tournament head loss uh, territory yeah beyond that they'll be fairly happy i think with with the way they played that's the thing can i just interject quickly to just say as well i think in the in this specific game whilst yes a penalty uh is stopping an open play opportunity that that you know might have it, it, in the 
in the context of the XG conversation, mm. might, might might have a healthy dose of that attached to it, or might just be able to create a good opportunity. I think in this game, <laughs> it's not really the case. Like we've talked, in, in fact, there's a chapter of the book, Seb, yeah. about penalties and how sometimes they seem a, they feel a bit unfair because the likelihood of scoring from a penalty is about seventy eight percent, right? Versus where you win a penalty from, mm. and, and the context of that situation when you win it is almost always significantly lower than that. The Mason Mount penalty, Mason Mount's not getting anywhere near that ball. Yeah. It's not dangerous it's at all. It's a stupid. Foul. It's it is a penalty, but it's like out of the penalty yeah. area as well. He could have got a shot away. It's never ever going to be a goal. As Same far as I'm concerned, Harry Kane non penalty 0.0 xg there. Yeah. So I think it's just um, I don't know. It's interesting, isn't it? But yeah, to come back to the game state, I think that obviously England then get back, then get back in through the penalty, and then I think France came out a little bit more in the in the second half, and they they had that that period where they had a couple of chances in quick succession, got the goal, and then they sat back again and were a little mm. bit more. If you look at the xg plot, it flattens out again after they score their second goal because they they're not trying to go out and score. So being two one-up changes the, the way they're approaching the game. I think it's a pretty risky way of playing sometimes, but it's worked out for them in this occasion. And it was only Harry Kane yeeting a penalty over the bar that, that stopped them from, from suffering from that. What did you make of that, Kiva? I mean, he'd already scored one, stuck a, a, you know, stood up to take the second, put it the same way and hit it over the top. I felt really confident in him. And we were chatting and I, you said a lot of the time when he takes, I mean, all penalties are pretty pressurised situations. I don't know how they do them. Um, but you were saying that sometimes he goes down the middle. Yeah, it's, it's one that he likes. I mean, he's he's such a good ball striker normally that like he's he's pretty reliable at finding the corners. I always think it's really tricky when you have to say it twice in the same game, and also the added complication of Lloris being his club mate. I always felt as if like that's the kind of that's the banker penalty. It's the high percentage one, isn't yeah. it? And um, I don't know. It's um, I have seen him do that before. He missed a penalty very similarly at Southampton a few years ago. Um, we just got underneath it and he struck it well enough, but it was nowhere near. Um, it's really unfortunate for him as, as well, because I, I think he actually played pretty well. Um, but obviously the headline is going to be a missed penalty. But then like, what do you do? It's, it's, it's got to be in those moments after the penalty is given, it's going to be so easy to to just get in your own head thinking, yeah. I've gone down that side. Do I go there again? He's my club mate. What's he thinking? Is he quite a weight as well? It was a way and that's fine. Like that's something you have to deal with. That's yeah. just part of it, but it adds to the pressure. And, um, yeah, it's complicated and you've got to be, emotionally, you've got to be so resilient, I reckon, to, to deal with yeah. that. I mean, one penalty is bad enough, right? But yeah. Part of me thinks, do you put Mason Mount who wins the penalty on the penalty, almost just mm. to take that pressure off yeah. Kane? And if he misses it, all right, he's just come on and then everyone will be like, why didn't Kane take it? But if he scores it, then, you know, we're not having that conversation. But Harry Kane scores penalties yeah. and he always blasts them into the top corner. Goalkeepers can't get near them. That's what he was trying to do, mm. and it just didn't come off for him. These I think the second happen. penalty always adds like a level of psychology that you don't get with just a single penalty. Yeah, um, and so it was like because... our second game of chess after I beat you in the first <laughs> one. <laughs> the one where you collapsed. The one where I collapsed instantly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my game that was not even the equivalent of Harry Kane's over the bar. Mine was it didn't yeah, even didn't was... even cross the goal. Oh, scoring like an own that. goal from a penalty. <laughs> yeah. can, that, can that happen? If you hit I the ball think... the wrong way, like, and it goes in your own goal, it's a you... good question. Can you do that? Looking but that was basically what you did in that, in, that, in that chess game. That's why I did in that chess game. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Interesting. Um, the other thing I was going to say is that we've barely seen any players who take penalties in this World Cup go high with the ball. Mm. Um, and there's been, I think there's been some conversation about the ball being a little bit lighter than maybe previous balls. And I think when you're in that situation, a really high pressure, pressure situation to keep your team in the game and you go high 
with that added adrenaline that you have in those situations, it's so easy to get those fine margins wrong and, yeah. and go high. Um, so yeah, but again, it's 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 a horrible situation to be in. I've, I've been in like amateur games that just do not matter yeah. and had to take penalties where you where good you at feel, penalties. I never missed a penalty. <laughs> really, this is embarrassing until well, Bruno Fernandez. Until one game, John McKenge. Where I missed two penalties in the same game. Uh-huh. And I never took a penalty You Martin Palermo really. You never took a penalty again. I took again. a penalty. I won a penalty and took it to get... To, this was in... This is ridiculous. This is for, <laughs> for my college at university against the comparative college at Oxford. So it was so, like a varsity game. Obviously, yeah. it's not important at all. But like, I, did, I won a penalty in the last five it, minutes. It was important it enough for him to bring it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I won a penalty in the last five minutes. Where was it again? Minutes. Say where it was again. yeah. yeah. Varsity. What does that yeah. word mean? Mm. That's quite. That's that sounds quite historic. What, what is it? university? Yeah. Is that a, a anyway? Type I, won of a, food? I won a penalty in the last five minutes of the game to win the game, and I clacked it, and it hit the angle of the post and bar, bounced down, like just in front of the line, and then was cleared. Uh, yeah. And we went through, played extra time, and then went to penalties. No one else on my team wanted to take the one of the penalties, so I was like, "Fine, I'll take it." And I yeeted it over the bar. You yeeted and it over I've, the bar. It, I have never felt more pressure than I felt in that moment yeah. because my mind went blank. I was just like, "I don't know what I'm doing here." I was just like, "I'm just going to hit it as hard as I can." And how did you Boom. feel after? Oh, I felt awful. Joe. Did you? Yeah, yeah. Hard to describe how bad I felt. Hard to describe. Mm. I've got this real urge to like look up your university football history on Wikipedia. <laughs> There's still like a page for it. He's been trying to write it for quite some time, <laughs> Kiva, but they just keep rejecting it. <laughs> there you go. Okay, well, listen, let's talk about France a little bit. I'm sure we can talk more about England after, but um, what did they do well, Seb? Because they won the game. They did that mm. quite well. I felt like... I mean, we, we, we have talked about him before, but I felt like Antoine Griezmann's like, performance in open play, forget the assists like his kind of ability to receive the ball. And I, I think despite England probably being, having the better chances, I think like France's authority over the game was slightly more pronounced at times. And that there's a big, you know, Griezmann does a lot of lifting in that area. Um, and it's not stuff which catches your eye. If you go back and you were to kind of watch a super cut of Griezmann's performances, performances, his, um, his passes and, you know, his retrievals and his receiving positions, um, it does a lot of the stuff that we praised Croatia for last night which is takes a sting out of the game, eases the pressure. He's like a little bit of a pressure valve, which is so interesting to me because it's a reinvention of who Antoine Griezmann is as a footballer because I always think of him as a kind of a, an attacking player and, his, and I think of his goal scoring and his kind of um, his flamboyant attributes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I enjoyed that. I felt like, I mean, all the way through the tournament, I kind of thought that France would win the World Cup and depending on what happened to Brazil, probably at a canter. And I, I, I still do back them against... Argentina, I just not, think it could be France, France, Croatia again. Uh, Argentina, I think, would probably get through against. Oh, no, I agree, but I mean, I'm just thinking it's, it's, it has the potential, right? Has there ever been it, two finals in a row with the same teams? Uh, I do not know the answer to that. There's okay. probably uh, there might be a Germany, Holland somewhere in there. I'm not yeah. sure. Is there I'm a Argentina so Netherlands? Final, yeah, because they would they'd have been seventy eight, yeah. And what about the following on eighty two? No, Brazil winning eighty two. Brazil. I think it seems like we can look this up another time. We I reckon probably eighty six and ninety. Apparently, that would probably be. A That's what people are saying. Of, okay, yes. Yeah, is so, that Italy so, Brazil? 
Um, no, that would be nineties uh, Argentina. Laszlo saying Germany, Argentina, eighty six and ninety, and then in eighty six Maradona. Um, Maradona inspires yeah, Argentina to beat. Although is one of them like West Germany and the other one not? Yeah, West Germany. They're both West Germany. Okay, um, okay. But yeah. Anyway. 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 Long story short, I'm not sure I trust that defense. Like the Hernandez, yeah, they were a bit wobbly today, weren't they? A little bit wobbly. I feel like um, some of Saka's moments, not just against Hernandez, but some of his moments cutting in from the right into the left, like the move which leads to the penalty is kind of about panic, isn't it? Because um, Hernandez, he goes away from his man, but also you watch Chiumeni step back into a kind of screening role. And one of the big caveats about his move to Real Madrid was he's going to be a brilliant, brilliant player. There are some positioning and defensive issues that you're going to have to cope with as a young player it's not criticism he just he is inexperienced he's they brought a kind of um set of raw materials in a way and there's a little bit of jitteriness which if you think of Leo Messi in that situation um and potentially La Torre Martinez restored after scoring his penalty mm. maybe there's a bit of a problem um but I was really impressed actually by a lot of what France did I mean in a different way to how I have been through most of the tournament I think they're just um they're probably one of the, the best functioning um Didier Deschamps sides that I've seen um, perhaps that's a little bit about you know them being a bit easier on the eye, uh, but I think they're going to be um, yeah very very tough to beat. I think it's worth saying that like a lot of the time it's easy to fall into results bias analysis of games, but it, France didn't have to do much to win this game. Mm. Um, they, they obviously scored that goal from outside the box really early on. No one expected it, especially of Chouameni. Yeah, um, and then. They, they, lovely, they uh, turned things around a little bit for about ten minutes in the in the second half and sort of turned the screw a bit and then got yeah. and got the got the, the goal. Maguire like, combo. Uh, yeah. So uh, whereas England, I mean, England had had the two penalties and then they they, they did tr- create other chances. Could have been much more dangerous. So uh, that's the way were, international were football they goes. I think that, that they're they're unlucky to have not taken it to extra time for sure. Mm. Um, because because you like like Kiba was saying, like Harry Kane takes a penalty, you expect him to put it out. I didn't mm. expect him to miss at all in that mm. situation even with all the pressure that was was on it but again it, like so much of this comes down to France were trying to play the game in a really sort of professional way and not give yeah. too much away and they knew that they probably had that they were set to benefit if they could sit deeper and play in transition and they want and and England did I think a good job of stopping France from playing in transition yeah but the the, the way that the game sort of ebbed and flowed for me was like France sat back a little bit in the first half England get the equaliser. France sort of the, the game then becomes a bit more bitty and balanced. Then France get the the go ahead goal, and then England get, and then sit back a little bit more and England, let England come to them. So yeah. it's quite interesting, though, isn't it? Because France, you know, I think um, the the narrative around England and tournament football uh, is is pretty uh, vibrant, let's say. Um, but Deschamps France is one of the inspirations for Southgate, right? Like the way that France play in tournaments is not dissimilar, and is actually a direct it's- influence. It's the example used to diffuse criticism of Southgate time and again, yeah. and quite rightly, because look, look how successful they've been. Yeah. And also the model works. Like I, you know, the game finished 2-1, yes, but like just minutes before Giroud scored, like he had probably a better chance to score. And like France have that, it's a slight Real Madrid quality in the sense that like the game can go against them and they can be under the cosh and they can be conceding chances and getting away with things a, l- a little bit or, um, you know, having refereeing decisions go against them. And yet somehow in that small moment in time, they're they're efficient enough to take advantage or and I, I think honestly that Giroud header doesn't probably get enough credit because it takes a little bit of a deflection off Maguire which is just mm. unlucky for him but um Giroud's just missed a, ter- a really really good opportunity like, yeah he should score definitely he should score a good save from Pickford but he should score and there's a lot of players in the tournament I think probably a younger player 
thinks has a bit of a sulk about it or goes into their shell or look what happened to England after Kane missed his penalty. Yeah. There was still, well, there's still another 30 minutes left and England just were, were, were gone. Um, and Giroud's there to kind of, um, to score the decisive goal. And I, yeah. it's very difficult to measure that quality and to put a label on it, but it's so important. And Giroud, like look at Giroud's tournament. Like, look at the goals he scored and look at when he scored them and, like, the, the variety of finishes. It's just a priceless commodity in a tournament. And he's as old as me and John. Like, it's crazy. Uh, <laughs> and he's still underrated. He's still underrated. Yeah, absolutely. And he will, even if France win the World Cup again, somehow he will continue to be underrated in a weird he's kind of way. France's record goal scorer. Okay, so Mbappe uh, will catch him before much longer. But what an achievement for a guy that... Uh, probably until about his mid twenties was wasn't really rated by anyone in the mm. game. And he came from Montpellier, didn't he? Yeah, he won a title at Montpellier, yeah, and, and he scored like um, I think um, without looking up, he scored a, a goal a game in Liga during that season. Had an yeah. amazing year, earned the move to to Arsenal, and his Arsenal career is kind of a study of of the way he's viewed everywhere. It's like, yeah. oh, you're not quite Thierry Henry. His contribution to that Jack Wilshire goal, though, that is just that's honestly that's what's one of the best Premier League goals but in, for me. His his career is littered with like amazing contributions. I think of like the the Europa League final when Chelsea played Arsenal and his header in that game, mm. or some of the stuff that he's been doing at AC Milan. Right. For a guy of his age, uh, it's amazing that he kind of remains sort of in the, sort of the, the position in the, in the game sort of um, ecosystem that he does just mm. because he's consistently brilliant and he consistently makes the players who play around him better. Mm. Uh, and yeah, he's a, he's a marvellous footballer. And I think that point that you made that he's almost energised by the first chance he has in England in that moment to maybe just sort of switch off a little bit like yeah. that was their big chance. They're not going to get a bigger chance than mm. that. And then a minute mm. later, yeah. they pretty much do. And Jury was just there to... He takes it. Yeah. And I think it goes in regardless of the deflection. Maybe it goes in, you know, but it's just, it's a good, really good, strong header from not very far out. I don't think Pickford ever has a chance. Like it, the, the the Maguire deflection matters, but um, it's a great contact nevertheless. Can we talk about Gareth Southgate? Because I feel like a lot of the discourse about <laughs> Southgate... Let's been... have a break and then when we come back, okay. we'll do that. Yeah. Let's have a break then. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Oh, what a wonderful break that was. <laughs> Did you enjoy that break, people? Oh, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Tell me more, John. No, no, you you have to go back to leading now. I've I've done my stint. So you okay? What you've done though is you've done my bit, and then yeah, what do you think you about? Want me to do, do you want me to do your bit? Should we swap places yeah, and I'll yeah. use the boards? Yeah, no, no I, I can't commit to the bit. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Gareth Southgate though, because I mean, it, I don't, you know, I've no idea what Gareth Southgate intends to do. But this is his third major tournament. It's very possible it will be his last as England manager. Don't know. Um, what do you think? 
Yeah, well, we talked a lot about we the fact that we didn't really know what level England were at because they'd never really played many of these of these yeah. games where they um, play higher ranking teams. I think the the stat is the last time England beat a team that were higher up the FIFA rankings was in two thousand and two when they beat Argentina. So obviously twenty years ago is a long time. Um, and the big question about Southgate has always been how is he going to set England up in these these games against the the teams who you would expect them to be slight underdogs against right and in this in this respect like in this game we, you've already mentioned that Deschamps and and Southgate is similar in that they're, they're both gonna they both want to sort of play very passive um, fairly risk averse football and rely on the fact that they have better talent than than the opposition that's what that's what happened yeah. to France today right their talent won them the game but mm. I, I guess for me like I felt as though I wanted to see more from England in terms of we talked about build up at half time um and on the board again we, t- we talked about how Giroud and, and Mbappe are going to um, be the first line of pressure in the French press um and that France do this sort of shifty around to make to make that work in in effect these two are just the two worst pressers that you'll you'll see. You're talking about Mbappe and Giroud. Yeah, Giroud and Mbappe. Like that, that first line of pressure is super easy to get around. And then you've got this situation where Griezmann is dropping in as a central midfielder who you wouldn't expect to see him in that kind of role. And then Rabiot is always constantly worried about the space that is left by Mbappe over on the on the on the French left hand side. So mm. I feel as though that England could have probably generated more dangerous attacking situations through build up and possession than than they than they actually did in this game and that's constantly been my criticism of Gareth Southgate because these players all play for teams who are going to be very good in build up situations they're going to be able to move the ball through through build up patterns and i think for me in this situation there was a big chance for England to actually cause a lot of problems to France because France yeah. do have Deschamps who who isn't doing a huge amount of like technically tactical stuff so keep it let me ask you this then based on what John has just said Let's say, uh, hypothetically, Southgate were to leave. A, who do you replace him with? Because it's not like there's loads of uh, excellent coaches just sitting around, right? And B, given how uh, little time a coach really has with an international team, what do you think the expectations should be in terms of the style of football that England play? Because John makes a fair point. They they do have a a large number of very talented players. And those players are really young as well. So this team, I feel almost not strongly enough about Southgate and like whether he should go or stay. I don't really know, like let other people decide, I guess, but I I just feel like he's built this togetherness, but this squad is young and is going to go forward. And, you know, this is probably England's best performance at a major tournament that I've ever seen. And probably for a long time, whether, you know, he stays on and they build towards that Euros and then, you know, but, I just, I don't know where this goes and I don't know sort of like, what is the mood right now? Do people want mm-hmm. him to go? Do people want him to stay? Like, I, I just don't know. He's not someone that would massively inspire fear into opposition. I don't think France tonight would be thinking like, oh, tactically England are going to like do something crazy or I don't think he's that kind of manager that you necessarily, if he's, a, if he's a manager at a club and, you know, your team are playing against him, I don't think you massively go, oh no, but he's done such an amazing job with this England team. So you kind of wonder who who gets the job after him and what kind of manager do they, do they go for? Do they go for someone, you know, who, who plays a little bit more attacking or I just I feel a bit I feel like a lot of people feel this way right now like kind of like what 
where do they go? What happens next? It's interesting because also to, to keep his point of where do they go, it's not like it was in the past when, you know, the England job was a kind of coveted job and that you might be able to go to the top, the first division and, and offer it to any of the managers it's there. and they would step it up. Mm. It's definitely a lesser job. Yeah. Like, you know, I remember thinking a year ago, well, Graham Potter would be a good English manager, wouldn't he? Because, you know, why not, right? But like Graham Potter is now the Chelsea manager. And you have to be honest, like, Taking the England job, but particularly if you are not in English and therefore you don't have like a necessarily a fandom of the team, it's a, it's a, it's not even a step down. It's a step into a different dimension, right? Yeah, I I think so. And also, like to make your reputation as a coach today, I think you have to be active in a day to day sense. Yeah. I think you need to for your ideology to um to become public and for people to kind of seize upon it. You need to be competing in the Premier League, or you know, is it also what defines a current coach as a good coach? Like mm. the areas that they make a difference now, the areas they focus yeah. on are, are not to be found in international football, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I I think it's a, I think international management is kind of a loco imprentis situation where you're you're borrowing players, you're trying to meld people together in a very short space of time. What does that mean? It means that you're kind of like a, a, lo- a temporary loco- parent. So like if you're like like a guardian, aren't you? What did you say then? Loco imprentis. Loco imprentis. In the place of a parent. Yeah. Oh, um, I see. It means that, so whereas a kind of a, I always feel like when you when you get to an international tournament or like important international like Nations League games, I feel like there's always this caveat in the background about well we've only been together for a week or two weeks or three weeks or you know um, club systems you know are, are more important they're difficult to break down and we've got cliques in our squad so the, all of this stuff is kind of um, it creates a very murky context by which to judge a manager and I feel that doesn't suit like if you, if you aspire to be at the top of your profession in football, it doesn't really suit you, does it? To mm. kind of operate in a, I mean, how many, how many, how many days a, a year do you get with those players? Like, what do you spend your time on if it's not on the training ground? Like, how do you build the kind of, um, the cultish following that so many top managers acquire? It's really hard. And I, yeah. it's also with England, it's kind of unprecedented this situation because we had, Okay, so Glenn Hoddle leaves the England job in 98 because of comments he made to Matt Dickinson about disabled people. Sven Goran Eriksson leaves because um, his relationship with the Football Association broke down. Fabio Capello resigned in protest at the treatment of John Terry. Um, and um, Sam Allardyce had the um, resigned in, in the wake of the Telegraph rev- revelations and the kind of the, the pint of wine saga, right? <laughs> so you've never really had the same situation in the kind of modern era where you're saying... Right, is your tournament performance good enough despite the fact that you get on with all the players? Yeah. You don't ever really hear any kind of disgruntled stories about Southgate. No, they people. like him. They really like him. Yeah. The young players especially seem to like him. Yeah. Dresses really well. Yeah, well, you, you've <laughs> never had the kind of like the... Remember when David Bentley said what he did about Capello and him and mm. Jimmy Bullard wanted to be kind of jokers in the squad and Capello, you know, didn't really go for that. And um, Rob Green said that after his mistake in Rustenburg in 2010, Capello didn't talk to him for the rest mm. of the tournament. Like, so you never had that stuff. With Southgate, he's liked, people um, respect him within the squad. The players seem to really enjoy working with him. Also, unusually, you have players... Um, individually playing at kind of the same standard they do for their clubs yeah so one of the things that came up tonight was Saka's performance and that was Arsenal Saka that's the guy that's lit up the Premier League this season playing for England whereas in previous generations you don't really we never really saw that or you saw someone kind of crowbarred into an awkward position never quite Mm. maximized club performance yeah so it I'm not sure I 
I'm, I'm going to sit on the fence in terms of what I think should happen, but it's a hard decision. It's not clear. I think it is. I think it, but I think it's worth saying that if he does go, he's done a very good job. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, a final, a semi final, a quarter final in three tournaments, like for England, that's good, isn't it? We've talked about high floor, low ceiling teams. And I feel like that's what Southgate has made England. And that's not to be sniffed at. It feels mm. as though England have gone as far as they probably could in most tournaments. So like, if you look back on it and say, okay, you're going to lose to Croatia in the semifinals, you're going to lose to Italy in the final, and you're going to lose to France in the quarterfinals. People will say, you know, well, that's that's all we expect from this man, yeah. mm. manager and this team mm. every time. The, the the big question is like, would a different manager have taken them further in one of those in one of those tournaments. And I mean, that's a, it's a counterfactual. We'll never know, but that's always why there's going to be debate about Southgate because there always is going to be people who think that that's possible. But I guess the point I wanted to, we kind of made this a few, a few days ago on the podcast as well, is that they, they have the same debate in France, right? Mm. With the exception of the fact that they won the tournament in 2018. Well, they're having the same debate in They have the same debate in Brazil. They have the same debate all around the world. It feels, yeah. Often you have it in a little echo chamber and it feels like you're the only... Mm national team uh, fans doing that but it's but just not true i think it, it does come back to like what we're talking about in terms of what is expected of a manager because you've mentioned graham potter and like graham there will be lots of managers in the same boat as graham potter who will say okay at the moment i want to develop my cl- club career i want to be at the 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 coal face of domestic football mm. because that's where tactical innovation is happening that's it, there's a tempo to the domestic game that isn't there in the international game, right? So if you're if you're managing a Chelsea, you can you can be there every day. You're at the training ground. You're constantly trying to improve your team. If you're an international manager, you're you're meeting up with people every with, with your squad every two or three months. It must be so hard to appoint an international manager because, like, mm. I've been watching the chat and people are throwing names like Thomas Tuchel yeah. in, and none of them would do it. And it's like, well, first of all, no, I, I probably not, but also why would they be good at it? Because there's no track record of them having hmm. done that job in the past and the jobs are so different. Yeah. I'm not saying that... Um, it sounds Tuchel, fun though, doesn't it? It sounds fun, but it's also... I I have no idea whether Thomas Tickle would be a great or an awful England manager or just an average one. Or It's just, it's really hard to know. And so it's a very, very difficult appointment to get right. And like John said, at any given moment, there just aren't that many people who are going to want to yeah. leave, who are in employment, who are going to want to leave a club. No, for sure. To to do that job, it's Kiva say a name. Well, I've been thinking. I've been thinking why Serena Wagman. I'll just put that out there. But I think let her win the World Cup with the Lionesses first, and then do a thing with England. But I think it's not a terrible idea. A couple of people agree with you in the chat. Good shout. But I've been thinking because I noticed someone mentioned Pep Guardiola, and I've been thinking. You know, we're, we're discussing this, but it is interesting that could Pep Guardiola, you imagine he's that brilliant of a manager. He could definitely win the World Cup with anyone. You feel like he could whip any team into shape and just win the World Cup with them. But then at the same time, they get such little time to craft mm. and, mm. you know, build that that team. And, and he's only done the Champions League with Barcelona, right? I mean, that would be the big criticism about Guardiola is that in terms of like the premier tournament, he can't do it with any other team. Just completely different jobs. Like Mm. Pochettino is another name I think that will be probably maybe doing the rounds as well. The the irony here is that the two, probably the two best tactical managers in the tournament have been knocked out. Yeah. In Hansi Flick and Luis Enrique. Mm, Sure. Again, that's like we talk, I talked about England being maybe like a high floor, low ceiling team, but you feel like with Spain and Germany, they're high ceiling, maybe low floor teams. And that's the the issue, right? If you can't get your team through those lower ranked games where you're going to play against sides who are just going to sit deep and cause you problems then it doesn't matter like you can maybe they would have maybe either of those two teams if they if, if Spain had got through 
past Morocco, if Germany had got through into the knockout stages, we, they could still be in the tournament right now. We would probably be talking about them as the favourites. But because mm. they couldn't break down those lower blocks, because they didn't have the time to be as tactically, you know, subtle as, as you might need to be at that level, then it doesn't work. Triffin Tart in the chat says, international football shouldn't have managers. Just let the 26 players figure it out. Yeah, I quite like that idea. Funny, yeah. That is so I quite like, If you had one World Cup where there were no coaches allowed, no managers, only players... Imagine the power dynamic, the power struggles. Can you like imagine the controversy? 32 episodes of succession. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love it. Ronaldo technically is the Portugal manager anyway, right? That's, I think that is how it works, yeah. That's yeah. a nice segue too. Very nice segue because next up, we're going to talk about Portugal nil. One Morocco. You're very good at this, aren't you? I know. Just, yeah. One Morocco. Um, what a fantastic... i tell you what we should do. We should have a break and then come back with a change of tone. What do you think? Like it. A little, ch- little tone yeah. change? In what direction, though? Let's find out. Okay. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. <laughs> Whoa, Portugal nil, one Morocco. Am I right, Kiva, in thinking this is the first time that an African nation has made it to the semi-finals of the World Cup? Yeah, I think you, you're definitely right in thinking that. Oh, it's exciting. Massively exciting. I think they've got the whole continent of Africa now behind them and a lot of other people of England haven't gone out. I think it's going to be difficult for them against France, but what a performance. Mm. Just defensively, just sat there and just were magnificent been so good to watch knocked out some big teams now Portugal another one I mean I was pretty Portugal were just really underwhelming I thought just offered very little Um, never thought they were going to score at any point really and Morocco just held on and yeah just amazing but I think I was thinking about their manager, Morocco's uh, Walid Reg Raggy. Am I right? Reg Rag? Reg Reggy. Reg Reggy. That's how they say it. Um, he only got the job 101 days ago. Mm-hmm. So kind of feed into that. Just give the manager the job like three months before the World Cup. Yeah. And that's. It's when worked you... here and therefore. Yes. Oh, I mean, I, it might I like not it. work going forward, but it'd be quite fun, wouldn't it? <laughs> I agree for sure. Yeah. What did you like most about the game, would you say? I think that Morocco won. Yeah. That was nice. I think they did as well. <laughs> what did you like, Seb? Amrabat again, Anahi, oh. who played on the right of their midfield. I thought it was just, I don't know very much about him. There was this moment in, what is it, 10 minutes before the end, maybe even like where Amrabat carries it past about six players out mm. from his own corner flag. So I've been reading up about from, you know, um, the sort of the updates that have been coming out of the Moroccan camp and he apparently needed a pain-killing injection to get through uh, the last 16 mm. game. Amazing. And 
I one of the things that we thought ahead of this game was that Rich Defar, right? Because Amrabat is the heartbeat. He's so important as kind of the linchpin of that midfield. And he, yeah. he he's the buttress for everything that happens. And you thought it's game too far. And he was absolutely magnificent again. And that moment, like you're quite right, when uh you'd be tempted after sort of 82 minutes as a Moroccan player just to bang it as far as you can out the other end of the pitch beats two or three players plays his way out of danger he was magnificent I really liked Anahi um the Angers player who uh, I didn't know very much about but I had a little look on FB ref at his profile and he's um yeah I mean he's sort of uh it's excellent taking players on receiving progressive passes that kind of thing and that match that, that's from his his club performances obviously and that matched up to his his performance today and I felt like he kind of typified Morocco in the sense that it's their football um it is resilient and there are defensive aspects to it particularly as fatigue sets in but I think they're really bold and brave too like if you look at their front three those are um so Buffal, El Nesri and Hakim Ziyech those are three really kind of flair heavy players um and they play football they're not mm. kind of they're not sitting behind the ball they they counter-attack they're expressive and I, it's just a great story and we mentioned the article um right at the beginning about sort of the way their supporters celebrate it's just so important that you have these moments in world cups because i mean in this world cup specifically uh, there don't seem to be very many fans from every country apart from argentina and morocco um and you know if it yeah. was a sort of a, a france i mean i don't know how many france england fans there were in the stadium tonight but it, it's not quite the same and so what you get is this this combination of bold um odds defying football surrounded by this uh i'm not even sure how to describe it it's kind of frenetic moral yeah. support um well also and it's not just to I think it's worth pointing out it's not just support from people from morocco now no. right there's a, the support of many of the people from the arab world many of the people from from africa whose teams either aren't there or already eliminated and one of the nice narratives around the world cup is that it is the first to be hosted in 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 the middle east yeah um it's just i mean it's just like isn't it kind of brilliant that you've got a an african north african team in the semi-finals it is uh it's just important for football too um yeah Alec Rogragi said after the game, I said before the game, I think before the, after the, the last 16, um, he talked about kind of some of the, um, some of the challenges that face managers, um, who coach in Africa or coach in the Arabic world. Um, he was, he sort of, um, mentioned the fact that, you know, someone of his coaching background would never get a job at Manchester City or Barcelona. And he's kind of got a point, right? Because if you look at what he's pulled off in this tournament, like if you look at the, the, the results that he's achieved, uh, it's pretty staggering. And uh, I know his goalkeeper played very, very well today. Uh, Bono was absolutely outstanding. Also, if you haven't seen it, lovely picture of him and his son on the pitch afterwards and his son's wearing his goalkeeping gloves and they're absolutely massive. His son mm, must be like so three cute. or four years old, um, but his dad's gloves are enormous. Mm. It looks like, um, you know, in like a cartoon where uh, like- uh, you know, Where a character has large hands. Exactly that. <laughs> yes. Exactly that. The kind yes. of caricature with hands. It looks like that. And it's a very, very sweet moment. Um, but- what a success. Like it's just worked. They've been, Yeah. I, I think what I'll take away from this game beyond the individual performances is the fact that Portugal, beyond that, um, that one rasping shot from João Felix, created nothing. Sure. Like they were just contained despite, on came another attacking player, uh, like, you know, uh, Lau came on and Ronaldo came on and like this kind of revolving door of world-class performers Yeah. and the door stayed shut. Well, let's talk about the shut door, John, and how sustainable the idea is. I mean, I asked you um, not long ago, 
can Morocco beat France? And you said no, but then also they shouldn't have beaten Portugal, and maybe they, you know, they may, like we didn't expect them uh, to win against Spain. Um, is it sustainable? Do you think? I think the big worry for me is whether or not they're going to remain fit enough and yeah. have enough players available to them. So you've got players dropping out. You've got obviously the the amount of energy it requires to play this style of football is very high. And I think in the second half in particular, we saw like the, the first half was incredible. Uh, we saw the, the Walid Regregi approach at its finest. And it's just, it, it just seems absolutely seamless to, to the, the, the low block and then the, the counter and, and their ability to, to manage the game, to fall back into that low block, which is, this is the, the ebb and flow of this kind of game, right? It's you, you, you sit deep, you absorb the pressure and then you pick your moments to go forward. And it mm. requires a huge amount of energy, a huge amount of intelligence to play that way. And then in the second half, we saw it sort of looking a lot more raggedy and, and, and by the end they dropped to a, a back five and they were sort of and six holding in, wasn't it? Yeah. So, um, but I, I think it's, it's important to recognize that this isn't just boring low block football. I think a lot of people said, oh, wouldn't it be great if yeah. Morocco did a Greece? And I just think that's very unfair to what this team are doing because mm. this team has a system. They have, um, they, they have their, their low block and that their low block is very interesting. And they also have the players to be able to expand yeah. and, and, and counter it. Just to be so. specific, you're talking about uh, Charlie Jones, the producer of the Totally Football Show, aren't you? Should we, <laughs> should we stir the pot a little bit? <laughs> He, yeah. a, uh... I mean, he's using, let's be fair to him, he's using a turn of phrase there, which of is, course, you know, as they do on the Totally playing. Football yeah, Show, exactly. you know what I'm saying? But only the only inferior the podcast to, so this one is that? <laughs> we are the truth. We've been Speakers, watching the football yeah. with them, it's fine. Do not listen to the others. It's fine. We're the prophets. Go ahead. Can I talk about pressing? Please do. I love it when you talk about pressing. Thanks, man. Um, so... What we've seen a lot of in um, this tournament, weirdly, is is uh, an approach to pressing which feels a little bit outdated, and that approach is to to funnel opposition players into the middle um, to to then spring pressing traps. So here, you might expect if um, Portugal are building up with the ball here, let's move all of these guys out of the way. Um, they're building up with their back four, so we've got a back four here. Now remember the audio listeners. Yes, remember we've got those back people. four around the halfway line. Let's say the ball is with one of the centre backs. Um, now, normally, what you'd expect here is your your forward to press against the centre back and force the ball wide to the full back. And in that situation, you'd expect your wide player, so Buffal in this instance, mm. to go up and press against against Dalla. But what you'll notice here is that by doing that, you're allowing a huge amount of space in between the full back and the and the wide player in here. behind. In behind, yeah, yeah. So. Um, a lot of teams in this tournament actually um, have, have liked to do this because it forces the ball inside and I think you can go player for player and it's just an easy way of doing a pressing system. But actually what we've seen uh, Morocco doing, and I think this is because they, they recognise that a lot of teams in build-up phases are going to be much stronger in the wide areas because you, you, know, you, can, you can overload in the middle, you can push them wide and then you can have double, doubled up like fullback winger. Uh, on the same player and so what we've seen in these situations actually is that number eights in this instance pushing on the on the fullback so we'll have Amala here just uh, pressing onto the, the fullback and what you're doing then is you're saying okay if you can work it past us we've got the ability to just drop in here into the into the middle into the central area uh, if you can if you if you get the ball past our press then you can have the center ground but we're not absolutely going to let you have any space or time in the wide areas mm. um because I think a lot of creative players just like to drift out wide because they know they'll get space and time on the ball. Uh, and this approach has just been super um, important for them. So the eights push up, really aggressive press, um, and, and 
opposition teams just have not been able to actually cause any problems from, from these sorts of situations. One more point about the coaching. Like if you think about the stuff that Morocco have lost in this tournament, okay, so Saez had to go off injured in the first half. Um, Aguad was injured in the last game. And obviously Mizraoui is a big loss as a fullback. It's one of the very, very best fullbacks uh, in the world. Uh, will become one of them. And yet still they retain this resilience. I think that's really impressive because if you think about, um, I think it's a conversation we've had in England, not necessarily this tournament, but over the years, if you lose that one player who's really, really important to you, then your tournament's kind of over. That's that's sort of the mentality, whether it's true or not. Uh, Morocco have adjusted around everything that's happened to them. Mm. Uh, and that's just coaching dexterity, right? That's just, that's got to be part of, that's got to be factored into kind of our appreciation of their run here. Yeah, I think my favourite thing about them is that the families have been allowed in the team hotel. Yeah, it's lovely. and I think this has been like this big thing that, like you know, England over the years, like the families are in hotels elsewhere because you know that would distract them. That this is not distracting Morocco; it's inspiring them. And you see in that in the scenes at the end of the game yeah. when you see in you know Hakimi and his mum giving him a big kiss oh, and a hug, and that was just with, gorgeous moment. And, like, yeah, and you can see that this emotion and everything isn't getting to them in a negative way by far it's a positive thing mm. and it's you know that's the the fight and the playing for the families for the country and you can really feel that and that's why it's such a a nice story to get behind yeah. and a, a nice team to follow now it's, for the rain it's quite an interesting idea isn't it because you, you often you associate with um i think professionalism and maintaining calm in a football game a coldness or like a, a lack of emotion. Sterile focus. A right? sterile focus. Yeah. It's not clear to me that that's always the the way that it works, is it? I mean, is, is that how it would work in a normal life? It presumably has, it, it must depend on the personalities involved. Like for certain groups, it suits them to have um, yeah. have their families around them. To others, it is a distraction. I, I don't know. I, I think no what, idea, what people but... mean when they talk about emotion in football, they mean kind of wild emotion where someone is like uh, is liable to lash out or let their emotions get the better of them. Yeah. But often that, you know, the, the response to that is not to be without emotion. Like often you can you can be at your most calm or satisfied or, mm. or you know, tranquil or whatever when, when you are emotional. Well, also like a tournament is going to be, for most players, a real roller coaster. Mm. So wouldn't you want, you know, your, your wife or your mum and dad or like, whatever around you as a sort of um as a comfort i mean it's pretty pretty cutthroat environment a world cup like mm. yes okay one team goes on wins and more often than not wins all of their games and goes undefeated for others it's having to bounce back from adversity in very short spaces of time yeah and having to kind of exist in this uh this arena of kind of hyper focus where the news cycle is unusually ridiculous or even more so than it normally is um it's do you know oh. who I'd want around me? Is it JJ? No, no, it's, it's my it's my distant French Moroccan family. You're just trying to recover <laughs> ground and repair damage that you did to your family relations oh, yeah, earlier yeah. in the episode. Yeah, <laughs> I'm reading a book at the moment called Intangibles by a US journalist called Joan Ryan. It's all about team chemistry, essentially. And she speaks yeah. to a lot of people working in particularly baseball, but also talks to a lot of neuroscientists as well. And there's a, a lot of weight put on this hormone called oxytocin, um, which is supposedly released in certain situations um, and is released through things like it's na simple naturally things. occurring. Yeah, naturally occurring and released through things like hugging or, or um, uh, yeah, when, when those moments when you are able to, um, I think a lot of it comes down to mirror neurons as well so when you see something happening to someone else it releases this like when you this, see a really cute dog on the tube yeah exactly and and, and when you and, see someone someone else see a really cute dog 
Yeah, so we we see things we see things happening, and and we are able to mirror those. We can mirror the feeling that those things yeah. are, are producing in other people. Yeah. Um, but I think that obviously the, the ability to have your family around you, I think, mm. is going to be really important in that in that sense, and that it's, it's going to produce this this hormone that that actually. If you like them. If you like them, yeah. yeah. I, I suspect if you don't like your family, probably don't take them with you to a World Cup and have don't them in your hotel. Them. Yeah. Each to their own. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Uh, well, well done to Morocco and uh, Portugal. Yeah, I'm bored. I feel that's a massive failure. Yeah, Just I guess because... we probably should talk about it. Well, let's do it quickly though, and maybe we'll, I mean, we'll talk about Portugal a lot more. Uh, but go, go ahead, go ahead. I just think with the squad that they had, uh, we just this was you can't dress it up in anything other than uh, it's just ugly reality. Failed. Um, there was no creativity. Like look at the different. Um, look at the different footballers that were introduced over the course of the game and not one of them seemed to shift the needle of performance at all. Like you're talking about the ability to bring someone like Cancelo off the bench or Leao or um, Vitinha came off the bench. Um, it, it's an extraordinary level of talent uh, and then just not to produce any kind of um, attacking thrust. Also, it's kind of disappointing because um, I spoke to our, our friend Tiago and um, a lot of the Portuguese players have had a, well, a couple of them have had a very negative response to the referee which seems, I don't remember much that was particularly controversial about this game. Certainly not, it wasn't in the kind of the uh, Argentina-Netherlands bracket. Mm. Um, and yet there have been f- quite a few comments which are only now being translated into English. So I, I want to kind of leave them alone. Um, but yeah, there's been a bit of a backlash in the hours since their elimination. And I just think the fault was no one's but theirs. Uh, yeah. It's just a really poor performance. Yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah, Can I mean, just say you, one more thing? Do you desire to speak? I do. Yeah, okay. I was Go just ahead. going to talk about Portugal. Like, I, I mentioned that in the first half, Morocco were really, really excellent at, at, at keeping Portugal quiet. And in the second half, it got a little bit ragged. But in the second half, I mean, Portugal only put up about 0.89 XG, yeah. according to Opta, in the second half as well. So even when Morocco were a little bit more raggedy in their in their second half, they were still stopping Portugal from generating dangerous chances. And I think, again, that's, that's an, a really incredible ability to be able to i think portugal in the end had 72 percent possession and um, i think if you looked at the, all of the chances that portugal had the average expected goals for each shot was around 0.06 or 0.07 and what you would expect from those sorts of situations is something closer to 0.12 so you know you're talking about double what what actually you might expect so really good effort by the moroccan team yeah also like the center back al yamik i think he plays for um uh valadolid um, I haven't seen very much of him before, but uh, every time, like, uh, there were so many Portuguese attacks, which seemed to end with him making a head of clearance. And it was amazing how often like, Portugal went back to that route. Um, Morocco dealt with everything that was arrowed into their box. Like, and so just shelling a penalty box for, for you know, 60 minutes when you need a goal seems a, a really strange, um, really strange approach. But he was excellent. He was, uh, he was so resilient and uh, he dealt with absolutely everything at the back post as well, which is very, very impressive. Mm. Uh, don't know much about him, but I like him. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, there we go. Now let's play Points Are Bad. Ooh. And I'm very Points excited to play this. Do you They're know really, why? Really have you bad. won? No. Okay. What's the next best thing? JJ that losing. Happen? That's the thing you like most. What do you think JJ hasn't done? Oh. JJ Bull texted me 43 minutes ago to ask... If he needed to send points about. Oh, that's, that's, that's... He's had his one reminder. I've said yes. Why would he not need to do it? I texted him back yes one minute ago and said, you have 60 seconds. 
but he's out in the pub. There's no way he's doing it. Do you know what I think he's doing? Hasn't I think blue he's ticked the message. He hasn't blue ticked it. I think he's solidifying the not trying. Uh, I, I think yeah, yeah, okay. that he's deliberately not sent them to gain 10 points so that when you win, he can go, oh, I got that 10 points because, you know, whatever. So it's not a legitimate, he's going to try and make out it's not a legitimate win. Can you imagine? The, the so in order is, to though, avoid that, should we try is, to get him on the phone? The thing is, though, he's only going to yes, prove five call points, him. isn't he? What could go wrong? game he's going to miss. He's been drinking for hours, so lots could go wrong. But It is also <laughs> live. <laughs> you, I'm on the live stream as we speak. Are you happy to go on lo- loudspeaker without saying anything terrible? No, I just want I, you just you need to give us. Okay, I'm putting you on loudspeaker now. Don't say anything Please bad. Please do not yeah? swear. Don't say anything bad. Yeah. Okay. JJ, yeah, J- you're fine. We can hear you. JJ, you need to tell us what your prediction for Argentina Croatia is, please. Oh, thank you so much for telling me that. Uh, Argentina Croatia, I think, is going to be Argentina 1, Croatia 0. There we go. I found up on him. Argentina <laughs> 1, Croatia 0. But felt a little bit JJ like phone spoke, a friend. Though. Yeah, it was a little bit, wasn't it? Is, is, was JJ supposed to be... It doesn't matter if he was supposed to go first because the alternative is you win and he pretends it's not a legitimate uh, contest. Okay. We don't want that. Okay. We don't want that. JJ's we, definitely in the pub now, still chatting to you, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun. That'd be fun for him too, you know. I'm a nice person to chat to. Fine, listen, let me tell you the results from today. Uh, JJ Bull uh, was not supposed to go first. He was supposed to go last because he had a very, very good day. <laughs> so if one of us goes he, for Argentina, Argentina, one, <laughs> Croatia, nil. Does that mean he gets five points? He sent us three. He's now uh, sent okay. me three. So we can change them if we want to. Um, but uh, thank you for that. There we go. He says he promised he'd written it down, but maybe I guess he hadn't sent it. There we go. JJ Bull wins the day with only two points, one point gained on each game there. Pretty impressive day from JJ, obviously trying today. Uh, Seb Staffer-Bloy, your second with three points added. Uh, three points all added in the Morocco-Portugal game Shocker. because, of course, you got a perfect score with France-England. Congratulations. Thank you. Well done. Thank you. John, you came third with four points, just one off in the England game. Uh, three added in Morocco-Portugal. And I came last with ten. <laughs> <laughs> I can't uh, believe that your 5 0 prediction for England didn't come through there. I picked up four points on my uh, 3-2 Portugal prediction, and I picked up six on my 5-0 England prediction. So I think it might be curtains for me at this stage. But JJ's given us his prediction. Let's see. Uh, you've pro- both probably forgotten what it was by now. It was yeah, one I've nil. definitely forgotten. One Argentina. Great, there we go. Now everyone's remembered again. Uh, me to go first. Go 1-0. 1-0 I mean, I could go 1-0. 1-0 Argentina. And you guys would have to guess. 1-0 Argentina. I think it's going to be 2-1 to Argentina. Um, John, you're next. This is horrible, isn't it? Because they like draw. They always draw. That's the thing, isn't it? They go to penalties. You can, you can guess the draw. draw. Yeah, but guessing and draw is boring, isn't it? I mean, yeah, but like also you do need to do well. There's not many opportunities for you to do well anymore. There's, this, this is... I have to do well. This is one of the final... Are you telling f- me that points are bad, Joe? <laughs> at this late stage in the competition? Check your contract, This John is McKenzie. one of the final four opportunities for you to, to gain. To gain. Well, I, before this, I wasn't trying. But now that you've told me the points are bad... Just, just say 1-1. One, one. Come uh, on. 1-1. One, one. There we go. Exactly. Seb Staffer, what do you think? 1-0 uh, Argentina. You think 1-0 Argentina, fine, which means JJ is now a 0-0. Nil, nil. That was his second choice. Which, again, is very trying. That's very trying. Um, that's it. I can tell you that the grand totals after 
day 21. I'm in last place, obviously, with 144. <laughs> it's fine. But Did we listen to the song? Oh, no. But we'll, all... listen to, we'll listen to the song afterwards as okay. the outro. Good Should we fade people. out yeah. the song? That's all yeah. I came here There's for. There's two people here today song. that are better at my job than I am. That's good, isn't it? I've been waiting to listen to the song, so... In which case, you should also read out the final ones of these. So I've read my score. Next up is John. One, three, four. Oh, one, three, four. That's not bad. I'm ten ahead of you. You're ten ahead of me. Oh, wow. Yeah. Then the it was uh, yesterday. It was there close, was a ten point it? gap between first and last. Now there's a ten point gap between fourth and third. <laughs> uh, next up we have one hundred and thirty-one. And it's JJ in the second place because Seb Stafford Blore in first place with one hundred and twenty-eight. Oh. Oh, lovely. Surely that's, no one's listen, coming well back. It's a three-point game. No one catch you. Four Don't games left. do that. No one can catch you're, you. You're trying to sell you're so to me. safe Except, right now. Listen, what you have to do now yeah. is hope that JJ goes first or goes ahead of you, yeah. right? And all you have to do is choose things that are less, the one, one away from his prediction. So even if you both pick up six... The worst thing that could happen I is that John could sneak in. That. Someone in the chat has pointed out that had Joe failed to give any proper scores for this last set of games, he would still have had the same amount of points. <laughs> <laughs> so he might as well not play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is true. Isn't it? <laughs> that is true. <laughs> but it's all about the thrill of the game. It is. I, I think the game. it's the taking part that counts, yeah. not let's, the winning. Let's uh, get our headphones ready. Um, and uh, while we do that, I will say uh, thank you to uh, oh, thank you. John, John McGenzie. There he goes, John McGenzie. Have you, have you had a nice time? Thank you. Yeah, I had a lovably time. Thank you to Seb Stafford Bloor. Oh, I had a very nice time. Thank you. Uh, a special thank you to Kiva O'Neill. Thanks for having me again. Round of applause. And round of applause. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And thanks to the production suite of Don and Jamie who are going to outro us now. Oh, thanks to editor Nathan who's back. Oh, yeah. Thank Christ. Um, that was that was not good for you last night. I didn't night. like that. No, you didn't no, like that. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> they're going to outro us with points of sad. Um, oh, and one more quick thanks as well. To Tom Hawkins, who provided us the points of bad sheet. We mentioned that at the beginning, but this has been a lifesaver for us during the tournament. So thank you, Tom Hawkins. And now we play out with uh, with Ban Summers. Points are sad. Okay, cut it.